Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing today? It's good to see you. I'm Danny Forshee, pastor here at Great Hills Baptist Church, and I am so delighted that you're here to study God's Word with us. If you're new, we do welcome you. We're so glad that you've come to worship the Lord with us. And as Trey mentioned, my wife and I will be here in the Welcome Center uh, right after the, uh, the service today. We'd love to meet you and greet you and uh, encourage you. And if I could just say a word to our home folk here, our church membership, in a few weeks we're going to be taking up our harvest offering. And so I want you to be praying with me uh, as to what God can do in us and through us as we catch up on our uh, end of year and budget giving. So that's going to be on November the 18th. We're already through, um, oh goodness, it's already the halfway point of October. Time is going. So we're going to turn around. It's going to be Christmas. You know that? We're going to turn around. It's going to be Christmas time. So time does go very fast, but we are so glad you're here, guest and member alike. If you have a Bible with you, we'd love for you to study with us today. And John chapter 3 is our text. And if you're listening online through our live stream, we have many people. Maybe the fastest part, the growing part of our church are those of you that tune us in every week all over the nation. And so we're glad that you're listening to us today. Uh, God bless you for watching us on our Facebook uh, live stream. Thank you for being a part of our church today. So John chapter 3 is our text. And I'm going to look with you today at verses 11 through 16. Did you hear that? John 3, 16 is our text today. When's the last time you heard a whole sermon preached on John 3.16, the most readily, widely recognized verse? Not only in the Bible, it may be the most widely recognized statement or saying ever known to man. For God so, what? Loved the world. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's interesting that that statement was made in a, in a dialogue. Jesus Christ was speaking to a very elite, uh, religious, probably wealthy man by the name of Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night uh, under the cloak of darkness. We, we really don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he doesn't want to be seen with this peasant rabbi in broad daylight. Or maybe he has some some very pressing questions about life and religion and spirituality, and, and he's seen the supernatural in Jesus' life, and so he couldn't wait till the next morning. He had to find him and speak to him about, about these words that he is hearing and these miracles. And in fact, he even compliments Jesus. He says, I know there's no way you can do what you're doing unless God is with you. And Jesus responded uh, very succinctly. And very matter-of-factly, very to the point, he said, yeah, I hear you, Nicodemus, but you have to be born again. You have to believe I am who I say I am, and that I am the Son of God, Son of Man, come from heaven above to earth below to show you how to live on this, on this planet earth. And so it begins this dialogue, and, and really the dialogue segues into more of a discourse or a monologue as Jesus Christ begins to unpack for Nicodemus what it means to be born again. And there's so much talk about th that phrase, born again, born a second time. And what's so fascinating to me within this text, the key is given to us in verses 15 and 16, the way that we're born anew, the way that we receive a brand new life, the way that when we die, we go to heaven is through the simple key called belief. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever what? Believes in him, has faith in him, trust in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. What a message uh, and what a method. Jesus has given us a fabulous, fantastic, phenomenal method on how to interact with people, how to engage with people. Dave Kinneman in his excellent book called Unchristian, he said, if we're going to reach millennials, Gen Xers, if we're going to reach anybody today with the gospel, we got to get out of our steeples and quit yelling at people and get out into the streets where they live, where they work, where they play and love people, show people. And that's precisely what Jesus did. You see him throughout the Bible. You see him throughout the four gospels. He is interacting with people in their lives. He's speaking to him, to them. He loves them. Doesn't matter who they are, male, female, Jew, Gentile, centurion, leper, religious elite, woman at the well, adulteress, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ loved people and, and he shows us today how if we can take this concept of for the one, in Jesus, he, he gave us even that word, even that phraseology. He said, what good shepherd among you that if you have a sheep that is lost, that is straying out in the wilderness, you, you good shepherd, you're going to leave the 99 and you're going to go find the one for the one. You're going to find him or her and you're going to rescue them, bring them back into the fold. And so Jesus has given us this template, this model, this beautiful example for us as his children to follow so that we could be consumed with the with the one. I continue to hear these correspondence conversations about your ones. And just Tuesday, I was this week attending our ESL LifeBridge um, luncheon and a precious lady from Iran came up to me, Tammy did, and she said, you are my brother. And I was like, it took me just a moment, you know, I, just, I had to think, well, what, what does she mean by that? And I went, oh, wow. Yeah, she gives me this hug. She goes, you are my brother. I just accepted Jesus as my savior and you are my brother in Christ. I was like, wow, that's fantastic. And I find out that Cindy West had led her to the Lord and Laurie Engel is discipling her in the Lord. And so I continue to hear story after story. And, and it's, it's so encouraging to see you, listen to this, do what he did. And Jesus Christ, you know, we are his disciples and a disciple is someone who looks like the person they're following. And I just want you to know, the more you talk about Jesus, the more you love people and disciple people, the more you resemble your king. And that's who we are. As a Christian church, our job's not to yell at people and tell them how awful they are and how they're going to hell. You know, our job is to love people out of hell into heaven. And God so loved the world that he gave his son. Anybody, everybody who believes in him will not die and go to hell. Instead, they will die and go to heaven if they what? If they believe in him. So in this text today, I just love this text. It's, um, man, it's hard just to preach a few minutes on uh, just a few verses, but I'm, I've broken it down into three uh, segments or vignettes. Um, number one, we're gonna look at the first few verses of our text today by way of instruction. Jesus will instruct this, <laughs> it's kind of comical, isn't it? This Mr. PhD, religious elite Nicodemus, he's part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel, 70 members strong. I mean, these Sadducees and Pharisees, chief priests, they are the religious, political, social leaders in all of Israel. And here comes Jesus, this rabbi, peasant, didn't, have, didn't even really have a place to live. 
and he is going to instruct the person with a PhD. It's, it's really funny, but it really is powerful. And Nicodemus, to his everlasting credit, John 19, he receives, I think, he receives and he believes in, in Christ. So there's, we're going to look at instruction. Secondly, there's going to be a word of illustration. Jesus, like all great preachers, and he showed us how to do this, gives stories, analogies, similes, metaphors, comparisons. And Jesus knew that people can only handle so much theology at one sitting. You have to break it up. You have to give a story. You have to give an illustration or at least a comparison to help people move out of the spiritual, cognitive, theological realm and move it into life application. And Jesus does this beautifully, and he uses a story in the Old Testament. You'll see it in just a moment. Then finally, John 3, 16, salvation. And that's the message he has for Nicodemus. It's the message he has for us, that if we believe, just believe and trust, turn from our sin, turn to God's remedy, the Savior. Oh, listen to this. I used to get this a lot. Now I'm ready and nobody asks me the question. This bothers me. People ask me, used to ask me all the time, well, the Bible never says, Jesus never says he's the Son of God. And I'm like, well, 84 times he says he's the Son of Man. And then with Pilate, he says, are you the son of God? He says, I am, I am that. But I kept thinking, well, where does Jesus say? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave what? That's it. That's, that's the verse. You tell people because they want to argue with you. Well, well, he never said, he never claimed to be the son of God. Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave me, his son. You say, prove it to me. Prove it that Jesus is saying that he is the Son of God. Well, he's about to prove it to you, and he does it in a beautiful way. So number one, we're going to look at some words of instruction, illustration, and then salvation. Oh, let me pray before we do. Let me, let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. It's so rich, so awesome. We need it. Lord, I need it. Lord, we need to feast upon your word. So teach us, God. Teach us through the sacred scriptures. For everybody here today, would you... Would you encourage them, God? Would you lift them up? And over the next few minutes, God, may they, may they just transcend this earthly, mundane level. And may they just enter into the very heavenly feast of God and, and, just, and just enjoy these moments of learning the Word of God. And Lord, among, those among us watching on Facebook live or right here today that don't know you, they've never really trusted you and believed on you for salvation. I'm praying that today God would be their day and their lives would be forever changed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read the text together. It's John 3. Follow along with us on the screen or on your tablet there, your phone, or your, your book, your Bible. The Bible says in John 3, 11, most assuredly, verily, verily, King James Brother Danny's translation, hey, listen up, this is really important. <laughs> listen to me. I say to you, Nicodemus, we speak. We speak what we know and we testify what we have seen. Three times in the first person plural, Jesus tells Nicodemus, we, but you, and by the way, you in that Greek word there is a second person plural, not a second person singular. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Who are all these we's and you's? But you do not receive our witness. 
Now, if I told you earthly things and you didn't believe, how are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one, now here it is, he's, he's about to demonstrate. He's going to refer to himself as the Son of Man, then the Son of God. And it's going to be very clear who he's talking about. For no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Eighty-four times Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. So we know precisely that he's telling Nicodemus, I came from God. I came from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, here's, here's the illustration comparison, right? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Numbers 21, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We know what he's talking about, right? That whoever believes in him, you know, I feel sorry for some verses in the Bible, like John 3:15, right? Or like John 3:17. John 3, 16, but before 16, there's 15, and it basically says the same thing. Whoever believes in him, in me, Nicodemus, should not perish, but have eternal life for God. So agape this cosmos, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Ah, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So let's go back to verse 11. By way of instruction, 11, 12, and 13, when Jesus is talking about we and you, what is he talking about? Well, there's two theories that Jesus, when he says, we know what we're talking about. We are testifying unto you. He's referring to himself, his disciples, and John the Baptist. That is a, that is a very good interpretation. I don't think it's the best interpretation. I think when Jesus says we, he's talking about the Father and I. The heavenly Father and I, we are bearing witness to you, Nicodemus, and not just you, second person plural, but all of you, especially you Jews, because you are the Jews. You have the sacred scriptures, the law, the writings, and the prophets. You have all the prophecies, but you don't believe. You don't, you don't receive it, but my Father and I, we are bearing witness and testimony un unto you. And so I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying when he's using this first person uh, plural. It's interesting in verse 11 when Jesus, he uses an interesting word. If you, if you have your Bible back open there, he says, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know, testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. The Greek word for testify and witness is the identical word. One's just the noun form and the other one's just the verb form. In the first usage of the verb form, martyreo, he says, we testify. And the second is the noun form, martyria, and it means we witness. And it's the same word. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus tells Nicodemus that we, the Father and I, are testifying unto you. We're bearing witness unto you, and you don't receive it. And it will, it will actuate itself. It will fulfill and culminate when I become a martyr. That's what he's saying. I'm telling you, I'm giving you a witness and a testimony, martyrion, that I myself will be that living sacrifice. I will be that witness, Nicodemus. And everybody who believes on me, just like in the Old Testament, when they believed on that serpent on a pole, if they trust, they don't have to understand it all. They don't have to figure it all out. All they got to do is believe. Understand, Nicodemus? We have come, we give our testimony. Your response is you have to believe. Now, verse 12, he makes another statement. 
really of, of rebuke to him. And then he asked him a question. Nicodemus, if you don't understand earthly things, how are you going to understand heavenly things? Now, what does he mean by that? I think there's a couple of, um, there's a couple of possibilities. Earthly things means it, it, Nicodemus didn't get the whole wind illustration, right? When Jesus, if you were with us last week, he said, you know, the wind blows where it will. We don't know where it comes from. We don't really know where it's going. It just blows. That's kind of the way it is with the Holy Spirit. You, you just, you, you see the results, you see the after effect, but you don't understand completely the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus, it, he, it just went, whoop, just went right over his head. So Jesus is like, okay, you didn't get that. How are you going to understand the deeper things? Another interpretation, and this comes from John MacArthur. He says, earthly things refer to the basics of the new birth. And if Nicodemus could not grasp that concept of the new birth, then how in the world could he get the heavenly reality, such as Jesus' relationship with the Father, the kingdom of God, or God's eternal plan of redemption? And John Piper makes a good comment when he says, and I quote, in effect, he is saying, you keep pressing me for deeper and higher explanations of the new birth, but you don't believe, Nicodemus. And a heart of unbelief and unregenerate heart cannot ascend to the kinds of truth that I have to give you about the new birth, end of quote. Now, for me, just a sidebar here, an interpretation that I wanted to add is I, I, wonder, I wonder who among us today want to see God and, and experience God and all you need is a sign. All you need is for God just to do some big thing. And if he does that, then you will give him your faith and your trust. But I'm here to tell you, friend, God's already done the big thing. It's called the creation of the world. And God's already done a big thing. He gave Jesus Christ, his beloved son, who died on a cross, who was buried, then glory to God up from the grave. He arose. What other son do you want? Oh, I'm not through. He wrote a book. He's got a book. Bestseller every single year worldwide. This book, not the Quran, not the Mormon Joseph Smith, but this, this book every single year. You got a created world, you got an empty tomb, and you got a book. What more do you want? What more do you need? So I, I don't know. I just, I, just, I just need a sign. Okay, watch this. You're never going to see it until you believe first, then you'll see it. People say, well, seeing is believing. Christianity, believing is seeing. Others of us are saved. We are Christians. Glory to God. Not to any great deal on our own. No, by grace, God saved us. But I wonder if people among us here at Great Hills, we're, you're like, well, I, you know, I want to see God do bigger things. And I, I want God to use me in bigger ways. And I want to see greater things. And God is saying to us, well, I, if you're not obedient and doing the little things that I ask you, why do you think I'm going to give you bigger things? Because he who is faithful in little, help me, is going to be faithful in, in much. Thank you for letting me preach to you for just a moment. Verse 13, Jesus makes another statement about his deity. And he says, No one has ascended to heaven, 
but he who came down from heaven. That would be me, Nicodemus, the son of man who is in heaven. Now, just a, just a word of interpretation here. When, when you read that verse, don't be confused. It's not meant to be obfuscating in any way. It's not meant to be confusing in any way. Jesus is making a point about himself. He's preaching a sermon on Christology on himself. And he goes, you, you need to understand, Nicodemus, that the Father and I, we are so close. In fact, we, I came from the Father. We've never been separated, I, and he's with me every step of the way. I was in heaven before. I've come down. I've put on flesh. I am here now, and then there's coming a time you're not going to see me because I'm coming out of the grave, and I'm going to go back to the Father. And I bet Nicodemus is going, say what? Come again? What are, what are you talking about? And Jesus, when you look at the Gospel of John, which I've done for you today, I've, I've researched this, I want to show it to you. Look at these three or four verses that give a beautiful explanation of what Jesus is saying in John 3, 13. It's a great hermeneutical principle. If you don't understand the current text, look for other texts to shed light on that complicated text, and your mind will be illuminated to understand the text that you're studying. So let me give it to you. For I have come down from heaven. This is John 6, not John 3. I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, Jesus said. Let me give you another one. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth. I came from God. I have not come of myself, but he sent me. And one more. And by the way, does, does this help you? They help you unpack it and understand when Jesus said, I came, I came down from heaven. He said, I came forth from the Father. I have come into this very world. Again, I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to go to my Father. I know this is deep. I know this is rich. But we need to understand verses 1 through 13, 14, 15 before we can get into this crescendo, this beautiful John 3, 16. But before we do, let's look at the illustration. And it is a powerful one. One writer says, beginning in verse 14, Jesus will appeal to the Old Testament. An illustration to make his point. Further, he will emphasize that there was no excuse for Nicodemus, an expert in the Scriptures, to be ignorant of the way of salvation, end of quote. So, I've got it on the screen. I'm going to give it to you in its context. It's Numbers 21, 4 through 9, okay? Who the Son sets free. Mm. Man, I love that. It's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Woo, come on. Hey, guys, I'm preaching John 3.16. You got to give me a break, right? You, you got to say, okay, pastor, just, just have a good time up there. I am. All right, so he's going to do Numbers 21, and he's going to give Nicodemus. And by the way, Nicodemus, no doubt, he's, he's lectured on this. You with me? Nicodemus. Is Ph.D., elite, Sanhedrin, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knows the Torah. He knows the law. I have no doubt he is somewhere in some synagogue. He is lectured on Numbers 21. And Jesus said, look at here. I am. <laughs> I am Numbers 21. Because just as that pole's raised up and people look and believe, when you look at me on the cross and believe, you'll experience salvation. So here it is in its context. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor to by the way of the Red Sea, they go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people become very discouraged on the way. 
And the people spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. And they were mad and they were angry. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die the wilderness? For there's no food and no water and our soul just loathes this worthless bread. So they're mad, right? And they're angry with God and they're angry with Moses. And so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. He said, that is not in the Bible. I've never seen such bizarre things. And it's in the Bible, right? And therefore the people came to Moses and they said, oh, sorry, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Now, please pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, but watch this. Then Jehovah said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze, right? He didn't take a literal viper. He didn't take a snake. He took it in the image and he created a snake and he put it on a pole. And so it was. If a serpent had bitten anybody, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And Jesus is like, you remember that, Nicodemus? So by way of illustration, here's what's going to happen, Nicodemus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, I, the son of man, I must be lifted up. What is he talking about, church? He's talking about that big thing in the back there, the white, that vertical beam intersected with a horizontal beam. And Jesus has said, just as that fiery pole serpent wrapped around the pole, kind of reminds you of the, the medical motif, right? When it's pointed up this way, if the children of Israel who sinned against God, they knew they sinned, they, they, were, they were angry, and, and a lot of times we're angry inside, it comes out as devilish and evil through our tongues. And, and the Bible says they're angry at God, they're mad at Moses, they're fussing, they're backbiting, they're angry, and God says, bam, start biting, snakes start biting them and they start dying. He said, help us Moses, we're sorry. So he prays and God says, okay, next time you get bit, just look, look to the pole. And they looked and they, because they believed. And when they looked and believed, they were cleansed or they were made whole. Roy Fish, my favorite professor in seminary, said this. Those folks did not understand how they just had to look. It wasn't necessary for them to know all the facts. They just had to look. And when they looked and when they believed, they were made well. And Jesus is anticipating his death on the cross. And all of us have been bitten, by the way. We have been bitten by the snake of sin. And there's something far more venomous and dangerous coursing through our bodies than a snake's venom. It is sin. It is sin nature, sin by choice. It is sin that has captured us all. And we all know that we're slaves to sin. We're born into sin. And Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus the most famous verse in the world. And he's telling you and me today, I understand. And that's why I came. If you will look to me and you believe in me, 
then you will be forgiven and cleansed. Wow. So that's salvation, verses 15 and 16. Verse 16, John MacArthur again says, it's undoubtedly the most familiar and beloved verse in all of Scripture. You know, John 3, 16 is making a comeback. And when I was a kid and I'm watching television, there would be always some soul out there in the end zone, right? He didn't have Genesis 1, 1. He didn't even have my favorite verse, Romans 10, 9. He had what? Hey, John 3, 16. Anybody <laughs> just be showing John 3, 16? You say, why John 3, 16? Because it's the most recognized verse in the world. And in the midst of this evangelistic encounter with a religious man, Jesus gave him these words. For God so loved the world. I actually know people who say, you, you can't say that today. Because of reprobation and eternal selection and damnation, you cannot say God loved the world. You have to say, for God so loved the elect. No, I'm serious. That's, that's a very strong belief among some very dedicated people that I just vehemently disagree with. It says that God so loved the world. He loved everybody. And if anybody would believe, just believe in him, you'll be cleansed. You'll be saved. Watch this, church. Don't miss it. You will be born again. Just born anew. The Spirit of God comes in us as we believe. And then you demonstrate that you are elect. You are chosen. You are predestined. You are called. You are glorified. You will one day be glorified in heaven. You've been justified. It's open for everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave. And if we only believe, we don't perish we have everlasting life. And so I still, when I witness to people, I, I begin to tell them this. I say, first thing I want you to know is God's not against you. God, he does love you. And I'm going to tell you why. It's not anything you've done. In fact, you have nothing in you that would make God want to love you. Because you and I are sinful by nature and by choice. But God broke through the ugly night of shame and guilt and sin and he lifted himself up on a cross. And he said, Father, I have not sinned. They have sinned, and I'm taking all of their guilt and all of their sin, and I'm going to become sin so that they in their sinfulness can become clean as I am clean. Let me show you this, to you, show you this in, in the Bible. This is rich, deep, deep stuff. But let me read Galatians 3.13. But God, or at Romans 5, 8, ooh, God demonstrates his love while we're sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, let's roll it. Galatians 3, 16. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse, are you with me? Jesus became a curse. He was cursed of God the Father. For it is written, everybody who hangs on a tree is cursed. Okay, now watch this. 2 Corinthians Come on, for he made him who never sinned, he became sin for us. That we 
that we as sinful people might become the righteousness of God in him. You say, how does that happen? It's because Jesus Christ, the son of God, the reigning, royal, precious, ruling Christ will bear all the sins of the world, my sin and your sin. And he will take it and he will die and he will plummet it to the grave. And then he says, and watch this to demonstrate I am who I say I am up from the grave. He arose to say, I'll forgive you all. You just have to believe. That's it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You just have to believe. You say, well, I don't believe that. That's a bunch of bloody, gory, penal substitutionary religion. I don't believe that. You will go to hell. And you don't have anybody to blame but your arrogant, proud self. And for all eternity in hell, I believe you will hear this sermon from this Baptist preacher today. If you only believed, you would be in heaven above. You have nobody to blame but yourself. That's why I don't know if I agree with that or not. I didn't write it. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes will not what? What does that mean? It's hell. So honey, get your, get your purse. We're getting out of here. This guy literally believes in a hell. I literally believe in a Bible. And I'm basing all my life and everything upon this. And God forbid, like the atheist John, John Gillette told him, he said, I don't respect a preacher or a Christian who won't tell me what you're telling me. I don't respect that at all if you don't proselytize and evangelize. Because if you really believe that I'm going to hell and you don't tell me, pooey on you. So I'm telling you. Because I want you all to look and believe and be born again. So it was January the 5th, 1850. It was a snowy, cold Sunday morning. It was so bad outside in England that the pastor didn't show up to preach. A dozen people showed up. And one 15-year-old boy, young man, prodigious mind, gifted intellect and tongue. He said, I put on my jacket that day and I was going to my little Baptist church, but the road was closed and I ended up going to a Methodist church. <laughs> he said, I went to the Methodist church and, and the preacher didn't even show up. And I looked around, there were like 12 people around. I saw all these gray hairs. I was by far the youngest guy in church. Man, some things don't change, do they? And a guy gets up, frail, uneducated. I think he, in, in his testimony, he goes, I, I think he was just a carpenter by trade. And, and he gets up and he says, I'm not the preacher today, but I have a sermon. And the young man sitting out, this is a true story, by the way. The young man sitting out there goes, boy, this is going to be good. <laughs> and the guy gets up and his sermon lasted 10 minutes. He said, I don't, I'm not real gifted. I'm not real eloquent, but I believe God wants me to say a word today. 
He said, my text is Isaiah 45, 22, where it says, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. My dear friends, it's a simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, looking don't, don't, don't take a whole lot of effort. It, it just, it ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. And the man need, go, he need not go to college to look. You, 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 you can be the biggest fool and, and you can... You can look. Look unto me, Jesus said. This is the young, this is the preacher preaching. This is the carpenter guy. The pastor's at home by the fireplace. And this, this, this guy, this deacon gets up. He didn't know he was going to preach that day. And he goes, look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on a cross. Look unto me. I'm dead. And I am buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. Look unto me. And the person who you'll all recognize in a moment said, when he had gone to about the length and managed to spin out 10 minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. And then he looked at me under the gallery and he said, you, young man, he was like, oh, boy. He says, you, young man, you look miserable. And the guy said, well, I, you know, I hadn't become accustomed to going to church and being, having comments made about my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow. It struck right at home. And that old uneducated deacon up there said, Sir, you look miserable, and you're going to be miserable in life, miserable in death. If you don't obey my text, if you don't obey right now, this moment, then you're, if you don't, then you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Believe, look to me, and be saved. And then he started shouting, old school preacher, primitive Methodist, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look Look, look, you have nothing to do but look. And that young man said, I saw it once, the way of salvation. I, I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought, like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed, so it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked, and I could have looked until I almost looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and at that very moment I saw the sun, and I could have risen that instant. And I sung with the most enthusiastic of them all of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. And now I can say, ere since by faith I saw the stream Thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and will be till I die. He was 15 years of age. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon was the greatest preacher ever to walk upon this earth, save one, Jesus Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was 15 when he got saved. When he was 19, he became the pastor of the Park Street Church in London, and people started flowing in to hear this man preach. What if, what if that Methodist layman 
was afraid he might offend somebody and not preach the truth. How Christianity, who knows, who knows what would have happened to Spurgeon. Spurgeon when he was 1861, when he was 19, 24, when he was 24, 1861 to 1891, he was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. 6,000 people, it, it seated 5,000, but they had another thousand that stood along the perimeter. And some stories say that when they dismissed the nine o'clock hour, there were 6,000 more at the 11 o'clock hour waiting to get into London to hear this Baptist preacher. He said, why, was he so, why, why were they so amazed with him? He had preached just for two hours. That's all they would give him, two hours. But when he preached, they said it was just like listening to Jesus. He would take these deep truths and then he'd tell a story. Then he would share more deep theology and he would tell another story. And the greatest of all preachers became a Christian on a cold, snowy morning when the preacher said, look to him. So if you're here today and you've not looked, you have not believed, I invite you today to do this. You can't earn it. You can't warrant it. The only thing you can do, all that you bring is your sin. And if you say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ who died for my sins and arose from the dead, I just believe. And when you believe, when you really believe this day, there will be a calculated demonstrative change in your heart. Something will happen in you. The Holy Spirit of God will come into you. You will not leave this place the same. You will turn to somebody and say, what in the world is going on in here? Man, I got some forgiveness of sin. I got some peace and some joy I ain't never had. Please tell me what in the world happened to me. And you say, boy, did you believe? He says, yes, I believe. That's it. You believed and the Spirit of God came into you, and now you're saved. It's that simple. So who am I preaching to today? There are a lot of people here today, a lot of people listening on Facebook. Who are you? Then receive Him and be saved right now. Let's pray together. I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for all of us Christian people who are listening that we would be encouraged knowing that our sins have been paid for, that we have believed, we've been saved, we're going to heaven, and now we're going to try to take as many people as we can with us. In our erudite, sophisticated, scholarly Austin, Texas, there's still a way for us to be saved and cross to the other side, and His name is Jesus Christ. Austin, Texas now is undoubtedly, I learned this from the city demographer this week. We are by far now within the top five cities in all of America by way of education. They quit counting the bachelors, they're counting the masters and the MDs and the PhDs, the advanced degrees, because Austin, Texas now, we've surpassed almost every other city in the nation Think about that. You know, Stanford out the West Coast, Harvard on the, on the East Coast, Texas, Austin, educated. We got a lot of Nicodemuses. 
We got a lot of elite, academic, scholarly, brilliant people, but I'm gonna tell you something. And I'm gonna tell you something. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. If you will only believe, you can be born again, you can be saved. You say, that's not, that's not difficult. That's not difficult enough for me. There has to be more to that. There has to be some kind of existential, some kind of philosophy. There's got to be more than that. There's no more than that. There's nothing more than that. Belief. Look unto Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, I pray with all that is within me that you would save people in this very room today. You would save people, God, as they're listening to this message all over America today on this YouTube, Facebook, thank you, Jesus, for it. Use it, God. Use it for your glory and for the expansion of the kingdom of God. If you're here today, I'm going to say it one more time and I'm done, okay? I really am. Believe. Receive him. Turn from your sins. He's given you the sign. You don't need another sign. <laughs> You're going to be looking for signs in hell. Quit looking for signs. Believe. And when you receive him today, please, in Jesus' name, I would beg of you, I pray to God, I beg of God on your behalf, tell somebody today. Don't let this day go without telling somebody what you've done. So, Lord, we're going to stand in your honor. We're going to sing praise to your name, and we're going to invite people to come and give their lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you stand to your feet. Come on, Baptists, let's all stand. Let's stand to our feet. Our praise team here, praise the Lord for them. They're going to lead us in a song. And we got people here at the altar. We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to understand everything. You just got to. Anybody? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, help me, believes in him and I perish but have everlasting life. You come. God bless you as you come, even now.